0: So today's guest is Big Bad Bear Jew. Now, I did a podcast with him a few weeks ago, and he was great. He had a lot of really articulate points, he was very polite, just overall great guy. But because of the political nature of the discussion that we had, I felt myself kind of getting dragged into some some sensitive topics for me. And it's not sensitive, I mean it probably is sensitive because of my lifestyle experience and stuff, but there are just some topics where I feel like I'm a cog in a machine for some for some collective shadow. I feel like this this sort of culture war in particular has just taken my anger and directed it towards um, people who I don't agree with and actually those people who I don't agree with are on both sides in this case but I just feel myself getting sucked in in a way that I I don't like to see I don't like I feel like it's not the best person I could be. And so, um, initially, I, I apologize for not publishing our podcast, because once again, he was great. He was he was excellent, a really good guest. But uh, I don't regret it. And I think going forwards into the future, I will try to stay above politics, whatever that means. And the problem is that I haven't actually figured out what it means. I think that is one of the issues. But what I think I mean by that is that I will try to distance myself from the topic of the day that, that is enraging everyone. Because oftentimes I don't think it's the most important topic to discuss. And also because even if it is an important topic, I think the act of fighting against other people uh, is not the best way to to help our society grow and prosper. I think even if I am correct which I am, because I'm correct about everything, um, I think arguing with the other side is not the way to convert people, because if that truly were the way to convert people, we would all have agreed by now. I mean, if it was all about... If, if politics was just about facts and statistics that I pull from the air and, and give to you, then we would pretty much all have a consensus, right? But it's it's not really how that works, because I think a lot of us think of politics as something that is intellectual, but in truth, it's something more emotional. Um, and oftentimes, it's just taking our traumas and, and weaponizing them and pointing them towards the other side, including my traumas. I, I personally see some shit online that doesn't affect me in the slightest, and then I get angry over it for like weeks. And I think the the lesson really is here to uh, disengage and to. Um, try to try to be as as kind as i can to the people around me and especially to the people i don't agree with and really try to to relate to them as as human beings and not as um you know like the right calls people on the left npcs and maybe not everyone on the left i shouldn't say that it's kind of generally miscategorizing but people who kind of uh, echo a lot of talking points they call them npcs and and i think this is indicative of this dehumanizing thing uh, that we do on both sides, for sure, I mean if, if you call someone an n p c they actually kind of get the humanity taken away from them, which um, I find myself doing unfortunately to people at times uh, and I think a lot of us do that, and I think the best thing we can do for um our our country for our for the people we love and and to look past. And look forward into the future of, of politics and social relations is um, to humanize people as much as possible to to look at that person who's shouting and talking about things that we don't agree with and, and really say like oh this person has a family and they they truly want the best even if they're wrong they want the best and maybe they even have something to teach me maybe if they're not quite even if they're not quite right about the statistics maybe they actually are correct in some way Um, that i can listen to and one more thing is like we need to be looking about where the culture war is going like i mean we, we talk about having a culture war but actually like what does that mean what are the what are the final implications of this is is the end goal of the culture war to just become a real war? Is that what we want? I mean, do, do we think that the other side is just going to coalesce and, and join our side? Like, actually, what what is the end goal here? And what are we working towards by fighting each other so much? So anyway, uh, this was a conversation with Big Red Bear and it was much less political than it was before. It's uh, mostly about, I mean, we, we ended up talking about like traditional families, and um, which is a really fun topic for me, because I... I definitely try to um inhabit a more traditional relationship and that's just my own personal preference like it doesn't need to be anyone else's but um I think we are talking about something that I, I feel is somewhat underrepresented uh in in the community. I feel like I don't personally see a lot of like kind of traditional women talking about um how to uh how to be in a relationship that they might want to be in, and, and um, how to find a traditional relationship, and what the advantages are, and may, what the disadvantages are. So uh, anyway, I, I found this really fun, and I hope you do too. Have a good day. Big Dad you? how are ya?
1: What's up? Doing good. Glad to be here.
0: Yeah, good, good. Uh, so last time I talked to you, I, it was, this is totally on my end, and I guess I owe you an apology, kind of, because uh, we got into politics, and then I realized that I have this like this this kind of devilish need to to get so into politics and and become this like bipartisan this angry bipartisan it, it's just like mm-hmm. this this angry part of me that gets out and um yeah. is quite addicted so, to it and i I don't know I didn't like it sometimes
1: so I, sometimes sometimes when you talk about politics, we feel dirty afterwards, and so yeah. I definitely get that,
0: yeah, it's yeah. interesting I think um. I think I'm trying to grasp something that's slightly outside of my reach right now, and it's something along the lines of um, maybe I could be above politics in a way. And um, I think even if even if I if, even if I think something is correct, um, I think that maybe arguing intellectual points is not quite the, the right way to go. Because if we were just arguing intellectual points, we would have figured it out by now. Mm-hmm. And it just doesn't seem like that's, yeah, I, yeah, I, I think, I think, one, I think it's go
1: on. At, at the heart of, of many political debates are, are power struggles. And so it's not necessarily about arriving right, right to the truth. Right. It's arriving at, at, at points that might help your political party or help other parts of your ideology. And so when you end up talking about one thing in particular um, and you're really ignoring politics and get to the, the heart of things. But if you start relating um, everything you're talking about to politics, then it becomes kind of a, 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 a trickier route right um we were saying before this podcast started that um, there's certain issues that both political parties are are failing at um and really i mean certain topics aren't really being discussed enough and uh it feels like all the things that are being talked about in our politics aren't really important concepts anyway um i feel like a lot of younger generation especially when it comes to dating kind of feel this way that they're living in a society Um, uh, that uh, is kind of geared towards an older system of how marriage and dating and all that used to work. You know, you see that when it comes to uh, divorce courts. You see when it comes to a marriage penalty, right? It's usually a marriage benefit um, uh, when it comes to your taxes. Uh, In the past, when you had only one income earner, but now you have uh, two income earners, and so there's marriage penalty, right? So now younger people are realizing that, okay, well, now we're stuck in this older system, and those things should probably be addressed. We're not really addressing those things at all.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting point. What is the marriage penalty? I didn't know that existed.
1: Yeah, so basically how our tax system works. Um, and this was uh slightly mediated by the fact that you can um uh file um married but uh uh so there's marriage jointly and is a married filing individually. Mm-hmm. Um but but how it works is that in the past if you were let's say you know the male will be the income earner and the, and the female wouldn't. And so as a male, if you become married to a female and you're supporting her, right, which, is, which was the case previously, then um, the tax brackets get pushed up for you, right? And so if you want to pay, if you're being paid, paying 20% tax, I don't know what the exact numbers are, but let's say 20% tax above 60,000 income, now it's 20% tax above 90,000 income, right? And so you end up paying less taxes because you're married, right? Mm-hmm. So that'll be the, the marriage, benefit that was written into our code which i agree because i want to incentivize marriage and i think it, that that makes sense if you're if you're supporting someone else your spouse then you should be taxed less have more disposable income but now when you have two married people then there actually is a slight negative you get because now you're getting pushed into those higher brackets anyway and the higher brackets aren't like they're not exactly double right like if you're getting taxed at 60 20 uh, 60, percent and it moved to one hundred twenty thousand. Then there wouldn't really be much of a penalty, but it's not that it's not that uh, it's not that large of a jump. And so, if you're getting taxed at a lower rate than double, then both of you double income would be taxed at a higher rate. So I've made that more confusing. <laughs> I wish I had a chart to to write no, down the numbers sense. here, but yeah. So you end up getting penalized where before it was written to, to benefit us, and it's so weird because this you know we rewrite our tax laws all the time, and that's not something that's ever discussed or fixed because we're kind of based on this old system. Again, it's an old system I agree with, um, but it doesn't suit our current society at all.
0: Why do you think marriage should be incentivized?
1: Because right now we have most of Western civilization, but I'm talking about the US, um, we're having our native-born citizens who are, who are uh, having an extremely slow growth rate. Um, I think, uh, I mean, Blacks and whites are both, um, I think are slightly above replacement, I think slightly. I mean, some of us I haven't looked at these numbers in a while. Hispanics are higher, but because of this, we end up having to import a lot of people into our country. And that's the argument anyways, we need to import people to fill those, those smaller labor jobs because our society is structured so that older, social security is, is structured so that older people are gonna end up getting benefits. So we need a, a big young base to bear pay for those benefits that older people are getting. So if we don't have enough young people we need to import them in is, is the idea behind that and so because we don't have a um we're not really reproducing enough we can't build that that younger base um also i think that i think that marriage and, and children a big family is an inherent good in society that we should be um aspiring to and i think that we should incentivize good behaviors we're as a society we're we're good at incentivizing bad behaviors right um we're, we're good at saying um you know uh like Okay, you're on welfare, but you if you get um if if you get uh, married to the to the so if you if you have a, ch- a child and the government's paying you benefits for having a child, you get married to the child's father, you lose those benefits, right? So that's incentivizing, that's disincentivizing good behavior, hmm. right? We're also we also and this is not necessarily a bad thing, depending on how you look at it. We also like um, a soda tax. I think New York has a soda tax, right? So that would be soda is a bad thing, I think it is, but you know this is like talking about the issue. And so we disincentivize that that way by taxing it. Right. And so if we're going to incentivize things, we should incentivize good things. And I think that marriage is inherently a good thing, marriage and the family creation.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I mean, there's points that come up to me immediately, which is like we are I mean, whether or not you believe in global warming or I mean, I don't know, I I think. uh, we are running out of coal, right? And renewables aren't gonna get here fast enough. It seems like on the current trajectory we're at, uh, the models seem to show that we're not going to, our renewables kind of suck right now. Like solar doesn't Mm -hmm. really work as well as we kind of have this, we have this idolized dream of solar just taking over the country, but it just, it's not gonna work, right? And batteries aren't good enough. And at the rate that we're going through coal, we have like 40, 50 years left. And so- Mm -hmm. Why Why is it a good idea to have a big family, especially for Westerners?
1: So, um, so you're you're referring to the fact that we might run out of energy. I don't yeah. really think that that's going to be the case. I mean, you know, um, if you're going to, if you can make the the argument that, um, you know, uh, more carbon emissions, I'm just, I don't necessarily agree with it, but you can make that argument that bigger families would have that. Um, in terms of coal, I don't know specifics. Um, there's other forms of energy we have uh natural gas right um and uh like if you wanted to um if you wanted to uh incentivize people towards those new technologies they are they subsidize a lot of green energy right and so that that i mean if the premise is that those those renewables are a good thing then you should incentivize their usage um, but, uh, I mean, I don't know why no one talks about nuclear energy. I'm not going to talk about it because I'm not an expert, but everyone always says, oh, it's nuclear energy, and it never gets talked about. Mm. Anyways, um, so when it, comes to, when it comes to your question about incentivizing good fam- uh, big families, that would be predicated on the fact that, on the belief that we think the Earth can't hold h- any more people. Um, I, I take more of a view, which I don't, I don't necessarily agree with that. Um, but also, like um, you know, the rest of the world is populating at extreme rates, mm. and um, if if we look at just if we look at just for ourselves, then it makes sense to as a benefit to us for sure. You can say it has externalities, like us having more kids has externalities on the rest of the planet. That is, I mean, you, you can you can say that, um, but in terms of benefiting us and our country, I, I think it definitely would. Again, we're importing people in anyway to fill in the kind of the the, the younger working class.
0: Mm. Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a tough one, but honestly, like, and this is something I tell my smart friends a lot, like IQ is largely genetic. And so if you have a high IQ, your kid is likely to have, I don't know, apparently it's like the average of you and your spouse. Right. Um, And if IQ is largely genetic, then smart people should have kids because uh, they are more likely to produce the next Elon Musk or whoever you want to sub, you know, sub into that is like a your kid could potentially solve climate change and, and have a net good impact on the world. Um, which yeah. I, I think is, well, it's kind of sad because I I know a lot of friends of mine who are super smart, like doctors, lawyers, and they they have this kind of environmental agenda and they don't wanna have kids because of that. Uh, so we're kind of entering into an idiocracy, I feel like.
1: I was about to mention idiocracy. I mean, that's the, I mean, that is the premise, right? But But it's a true premise is that the more, I mean, if we if we conflate IQ with education, which is not exactly the same, but the higher education, the, the the less likely you are to have kids, or I should say the the smaller your family size as a being on average, right? And then people like people with high school education generally have larger more kids than people with, with PhDs.
2: Hmm. Right.
1: And so I mean that's that that is definitely happening. Um, I think that when we start talking about this, though, the, the problem is it ends up being kind of a eugenic argument at the end of the day. Um, not that I'm not necessarily that individual thing is a bad thing but I don't think we could ever implement kind of policies that ever um, kind of uh, incentivize that. Um, Like how do we, I don't think we can have a policy that would uh, in any way that would incentivize smarter people to have more kids. Um, But I I understand your point though, is that um, if we keep on going the way we're going, which we we provide a safety net to people. So you don't really have to worry about um, necessarily taking care of your kids at full capacity, uh, then you get as many kids as you want. Meanwhile, people who are, or more intelligent. Again, that word is, you know, kind of controversial in itself is what does actually mean, but if we're talking about educated. Um, they, yeah, they're, number one, they're afraid of, like, like you said, of like over expanding and, and hurting the planet, but also a lot of them are career driven. It's like, oh, I put off kids, especially women, I'll put off kids until I'm 35. Well, if you put off kids till you're 35, then you can't have five kids. I mean, yeah. you could, but it's, you, really, you really can't. Um, so, so, but if you start having kids at 20, so really easy to have five kids, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a lot of different factors built up to it. Um, I think one of the things that is hurting people the most is, uh, the hurting society the most is, is telling uh, young women that their careers are the all most important thing. For men, it ends up being that way pra- in practical terms, and it has always been the way forever. But there's a new shift to telling women that that's what's going to bring you, make you happy and that's what's going to fulfill you. And I always hear the counter argument, it's like, Oh no you can go and be a stay-at-home mother if you want to but those but stay-at-home mothers are ostracized in our society mm-hmm. and we look down at them um and they're never promoted as a as a good thing um and you know it's, it's not a binary you can you could be obviously a middle ground you can have a career and have children um but we're promoting this um kind of like uh cheryl sandberg idea that you could be a ceo and have children not really you can have you can give birth to children um but i know a lot of uh, women in the professional worlds doctors and lawyers, things like that, who have kids, and then they outsource the job of parenting, right? They, they go to work when their kid's a couple months old, and then their kid goes to daycare from nine to five. Well, in that, in that case, I mean, I'm, I know this is offensive to say, but you're not really being the sort of mother that you could be if half the day your, your kid is with, 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 in daycare.
2: Hmm.
1: And so we're, we're, we're kind of, we're trying to tell women to to shift their kids to outsource mothering so they can focus on their career, which I think is one of the biggest problems in society.
0: Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. I mean, I guess even in in just a less offensive way, it's like you could just present the question. Do you think that it's a good idea to put your 18-month-old kid in daycare? Like at, at what point do they get, I mean, there are there are some studies and stuff. I mean, there's studies pointing in every direction, but there's studies that show that they get like separation anxiety and stuff because a, an 18-month-old kid is still a baby. Like they can barely talk. And so putting them in place full of strangers and by the way it's not like you know apparently sending them to grandma's house is fine or or like mostly fine because they know their grandparents it's a stable figure and then usually it's like one adult for like maybe one to three kids right it's not it's not like one adult for like 10 kids and then the adults vary and they don't really know you all that well and i I mean there's there's so much difference there and i mean I, i just think like you have to ask yourself would would this really be the same as being raised by family? And I, I think the answer is probably no. It, it's
1: yeah, pretty simple. I think that you're right. The research points a lot in different directions, but one baseline that I've seen is that when daycare, in Buffalo, you said 18 months, I know, you know professional mothers that have their kids in daycare, six months, you know, way, way earlier than that, when it's still yeah. a baby, but you know, that's besides the point. Um, when you look at the, the studies for this, it seems like it's the case that daycare is not necessarily a negative, For rich people, because they send their kids to daycare when there's like, when the amount of adults per child, the the ratio isn't that crazy. But average Americans, they send their kids to daycare and there's 15 kids for every one adult and they're not getting individualized attention. The family part is definitely part of it. But then you said, like, oh, it's one on one. Yeah, the individualized attention is a different thing because as a baby, you like, you know, you need the nurturing and you need some sort of stimulation. You can't just be lying there. Right, um, all the time, so nine to five, and so maybe for rich people, it's not that much of a negative. I still think it's negative, but, but you know. And then, um, and then for everyone else, it's a different story. Which is kind of, which is kind of like the uh, um, like one of the the troubles of our society is that um, rich people impose policies that can kind of work for them, but not for the rest of the of the the rest of the of, of us and, and mothers, right? Mm-hmm. And so, I I I definitely think that um, like we do need to reevaluate like like what is like what what should be the goals when it comes to children. Mm. Um because a lot of, a lot of mothers don't view it that way of uh, viewing it like it is outsourcing motherhood and I never really hear that that said, but that that's what it is doing. And and you know what, like it would be great if you even have like you said, intergenerational families. I'm all about that. That if you go and you can kind of go to work and then um you know the grandma takes care, perfectly fine. Mm. I mean maybe not exactly the same, but but but, but good enough.
0: Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, hmm. I do wonder, okay, well, actually, maybe we'll get back to this. Uh, I was, I didn't, we didn't quite explain why divorce was such a problem pr- before. Like, why? Yeah, we kind of just glossed over that. But I, I think, I mean, personally, if I've read some studies and stuff. You know, it's all studies. It's all statistics. But like, it just seems like kids from divorced families don't do as well. I mean they don't do as well in school, they're way more likely to commit crimes, uh, the list goes on and on, and I I think that we we seem to do something like glorified divorce, and it's obviously divorce is, is necessary in a lot of circumstances, but like I don't think we really see the impact that that has on the future generations.
1: Yeah, there's there's one issue when it comes to Um, And there's a lot of studies on this part when it comes to children born to single mothers versus married mothers. And we see a huge disparate impact in that if you're a married mother, again, married mothers can later on get divorced. And so divorced people are included in that category. Right. But, but married mothers, those kids end up with way higher education, less crime, less drug use, every, every positive, every possible positive um, benefit from that. Right. So that's definitely the case. Um, But I mean, even if you're getting divorced, um, it might end up still being better than not knowing, you know, your parent, most likely your father, because usually in divorce, you can stay with the mother. Uh, it's probably better than not knowing your father in the first place. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, our divorce rate is getting crazy high. Uh, this is for a couple of issues. Number one is that we've completely um, trivialized marriage. Um, we, we, uh, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I feel guilty. I've watched a show called Married at First Sight. Have you seen it before? <laughs> oh, they, they just did an Australian version of it, actually, I'm pretty sure. Um, it's uh, it's one of those shows I, I pretend to my wife that I hate, but uh, I'll watch it with you, but it's, it's amazing. <laughs> um, but the show is that they, they get married at first sight, and let's see how it happens. They always end up in divorce because, number one, the producers put up bad couples together. That, that's besides the point. Our culture kind of trivializes it. Well, marriage is a very, very serious thing. I mean, if I was a dictator, I would say uh, when people get married, like certain things should be criminalized, such as adultery. I can't imagine a bigger crime against other human being than being married and cheating on someone, mm. right? Like what? what is worse? Is your husband cheating on you um, or are you getting punched in the face? I think if sure. your husband cheating on you, especially when you're married, is better. I'm sorry, it's, it's worse, sorry, um, but that's not a crime. Um, but getting punched in the face is a big crime. Can't do that, right? And so um, I think you know, like, we need to take marriage more seriously in that aspect of things. Um, no thought divorce was 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 definitely um, uh, an, an issue with this. Um, but uh, yeah, so when it comes to promoting marriage as as a societal good, that's what comes back to the tax policies. Like, okay, we need to show that this is a good thing. We shall aspire to do mm. for sure. And and again, uh, so, so goes back to my second point about divorce is that. Um, and I think we might have uh, t- talked about this a little bit last time, but I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that in the past you're usually a virgin until marriage. Um, you know, monogamy is one of the, um, well, celibacy until marriage and monogamy are two of the building blocks of our society that we've had for centuries <clears throat> until the 1960s. And I mean, so I, think I don't that more... think we
0: actually have though. I think I think people just were a little bit sneakier back then. Well, there's stats <laughs> that show that.
1: I know the stats that uh, in Chicago, like a third of all men lost virginity to prostitutes or something like that. You you hear things like that, um, but at least that was the value, and it was definitely happening a lot more. Like like most of our grandparents were probably a virgin until marriage, or at least a high percentage. The percentage now is is much 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 lower. Um, and I'm not even saying necessarily like maybe uh, being a virgin until marriage is probably the best thing but at least like limiting sexual partners is probably a good thing as well. Because mm-hmm. when you have sex, you bond to another person, the more bonds you have, the harder those bonds uh, uh, become to create. And um, there's no way to show cause and effects here, but yeah. that's what I believe is the biggest cause behind the effects of, of a divorce is that people's bonds aren't as strong as they once were. Um, we could all remember, um, or many people listening could remember that the first person they had sex with it was like a boyfriend or girlfriend and how you know, crazily, emotionally bonds you were to that person. And you might go, oh, well, I was a kid. Well, you might've been a kid, but I know people lost Virginia at 30. They felt the same way. It's mm-hmm. because that's your first sexual experience. We were kind of made to bond to people through sex. And so the more you do it, the more you lose that bond. And then it becomes a rational, divorce becomes a rational decision after that. Divorce, uh, staying together, sometimes it's helpful to be irrational right and to actually have the irrational bond like i'm gonna stick with them through th- thick and thin not like oh, okay our financial situation's changed i'm not enjoying this anymore i think i can do be better and then divorce because of that
0: yeah but what if you get married to someone and then you find out they have like a weird fetish like they're they're into they're into some fucked up sh- like what if you find out they're into like vomit or something i mean how would you deal with that i
1: thought i thought you were about to say something a little more serious than that like what if he finds out that they're like a a serial killer or yeah yeah. i guess that too because
0: because
1: that i'm like oh well in that case i'm not saying divorces should be made illegal like i'm just saying you got to have a good reason behind it i would say if they're into um, uh, throw up during sex, that you, uh, I'm not saying you got to participate, but I'm not saying that's I'm saying that's not a reason for divorce.
2: Okay, all
1: right. <laughs> work 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 around it somehow. Divorce <laughs> is, is too important. But but I, but I know you say I mean a lot of people say like oh like what if you're not uh, sexually compatible? Mm-hmm. It's like well you could work on becoming more sexually compatible, and you can go and do a lot of things whether it comes to getting toys involved or talking through it. Like you can make sex better. That's not a reason to to Mm -hmm. not be with someone right i always say that argument like oh well if you um if you like lose your virginity to the um to the first person you marry then you're always going to wonder well actually you're always going to wonder regardless and so that's kind of a bad excuse um like when you assess the people it it doesn't make you um less curious about the world i don't think um Mm -hmm. if anything it feeds an appetite that never never is going to be satisfied um, and so I don't really buy that argument at all. And you know, I'm, I'm coming from a perspective which I, I didn't do that before marriage and also I'm not religious, which is usually what you hear, uh, comes from. I think this is just science at this point. Mm-hmm. We have enough evidence to show that we're, that human beings are, are, are good at pair bonding. And um, we've been mostly monogamous for a very long time. Some societies have been polygamous. Um, that's kind of an outlier. At least the woman was, was monogamous in that case. Um, but even those polygamous societies those were where you had extremely rich men and if you didn't pair up with that rich man then you'd starve to death because no other man could provide for you right so Mm -hmm. that was kind of like polygamy out of desperation i think that monogamy is a a building block for society and and that's um that's bolstered by celibacy until until marriage or at least as close to that as possible
0: it's interesting because i think uh polygamy back then was also like a social move like if you look at I think monogamy and polygamy and the way we pair bond has giant effects on the society that we live in and so if you have polygamy then you have a lot of men who have no women and so young men who have no access to women generally are women kind of tone men down in a lot of different ways and and keep them more sane and, and civilized so men without women are going to go out and maybe wage war for instance, uh, yeah. and then go and take the other villages, women, and then just slowly conquer. Like, um, I don't mm. think it's a surprise that Islam in, in, uh, in the Middle East is so widespread, and it is also a, a polygamous religion.
1: Yeah, and I don't even know if you're talking the- theoretically, but we, we, I mean, we have a lot of studies on that about how like polygamous cultures are a lot more prone to violence to revolution. Because right, when you have a lot of men with idle hands who aren't married, don't have a family, what incentive do they have to keep on working every single day,
2: mm. right?
1: And so, yeah, they are much more likely to rebel and, and you can't create a stable society under polygamy, mm.
2: um,
1: but you can under monogamy and monogamy, like I, I said before that we're, we're suited to monogamy, maybe not in like an evolutionary level, I mean, um, women more so than men, but men are always always going to aspire to have multiple women. And that's a bad thing for society because the reason we just discussed. And what I don't like now is that our society is promoting uh, free sexuality. And this does not benefit women. Um, the dating market right now is awful for both men and women. But women in particular are expected to be sexual very early on, especially if they want to you know, date someone kind of higher in the, the sexual marketplace or if you want to call it. And they're being pressured to, you know, send nudes all the time. And uh, if we're not having sex on the first date, then I don't have anything to do with you, right? And I think women understand this. There's obviously problems on, on both sides, but that is caused by this, you know, open sexuality movement, um, which was started very long time ago. It didn't start the sexual revolution. It started with Sigmund Freud, who said that the root of all evil is the suppression of our of our sexual nature. And so a lot of psychologists from Freud's time said hey, if you have sex, a lot of, if you if you go and just keep on having sex and you re- completely are not repressed, right? If you just let it all out, um, that's the secret to there'll be no more wars and there'll be peace <laughs> and love. And that was your theory. And it's completely not true, as we can see. And it doesn't make society better to do so. But that idea kind of caught hold in, in the mainstream. We don't really think that way anymore, but it inspired the sexual revolution, which did take hold throughout, that, oh, you should do whatever you want. And sex is just love. And it's just... It's just fun. Well, that's that's not the case. That's the most intimate thing you do with another human being. Of course, there's going to be emotional consequences of it.
0: That's such a man thing to say, like, hey, women, if you want to get better, just have sex with me.
1: exactly it's, wow. it's, it's so it's so weird that that trick even works and that, <laughs> that like like we have men starting this movement mostly who are just like it'll be gr- it would be really great if, if women just are having sex with all the men around them and then women were like probably like, what the hell are you talking about i'm like oh no i'm a psychologist i i know right <laughs> like, that's like i'm the authority figure here and uh yeah like freud got into some scandals of like i think don't quote me that's like like pushing sexual encounters on his page i know a lot of other um psychologists from that time did yeah. because they saw their out like every man is always looking for that well, a tricky move they can make. And if it's from a position of authority, then, you know, they're going to do it. Um, But yeah, a lot of of things that that women have succumbed to in the past 70 years is kind of astounding. Like that we said to women, hey, I know it it might be nice to to keep a home and have a family and have one man, but what if you got cheated by a bunch of other men who were using you for sex and you had to work nine to five at a factory all the time? Wouldn't that be better, right? It wasn't posed (laughs) like that, but that's what ended up happening
0: it's uh it's interesting i mean so hmm. women have there's this idea that women and i I agree with and i see it play out but um i think a lot of people might not agree with it because it's not like it's not equal or something but women tend to go up in the hierarchy so when they're looking for men generally you you find that you you're looking for a man who's like maybe smarter than you or more successful than you specifically more successful um but it's really whatever domain that you're really interested in i think so if you're like super athletic then you you want a guy who's more athletic than you um the
1: value may be yeah
0: yeah whatever the value is and uh there's this interesting thing that's happened where in the past so i would say this is an evolutionary construct where women are just trying to get the best man they can and then in the past it was fine because you you were a housewife no matter what i mean generally you might have done some little things here and there but you your you're status rich might have been different yeah yeah if you were yeah you were rich you came from a rich family you would marry a rich guy or whatever but like now women have the ability to climb the social hierarchy and so while men have stayed relatively the same i mean they can also climb the social hierarchy now women can Elevate themselves to high statuses in a way that they couldn't before. So, whereas in the past it used to be like, well, he has a job and I don't, and so he is higher status than me because I am a homemaker and he has a job. Now it's like, well, his job isn't good enough because now I have a better job than him. And so we're we're going through these interesting times. Uh, and actually, I would say that um, intelligent women are are actually probably uh, quite affected by this because there's this interesting thing that happens where like uh, intelligent men can go for any woman so if, if, if you if you hold on to this theory like intelligent man goes for possibly multiple women possibly many or maybe just one but she can be like a lot dumber than him and he'll probably still be happy in in this theory whereas an intelligent woman only wants a more intelligent man and if you're in the top one percent Now you're looking for the top 0.1% or something like that, like super high. And so you actually have less and less of the pick of the litter. Uh,
1: mm. A hundred hundred percent. Um, The evolutionary strategy for man is to impregnate as many women as possible. For women is to find the best mate that could take care of their children and them with security. Mm. And so of course, men are going to be looking like, again, like, you know, it it sounds um, inhumane to, to put people on like a scale of numbers, but but in the real world it does work that way. We know that some people are as more attractive than others, and even if even if it's a little bit subjective. Hmm. And so, if someone, if a guy is an eight on this on this scale, then he'll go after fours and fives and sixes and sevens. But a woman that's an eight is not going to do that. She's going to go after nines and tens, mm-hmm. right? So this has two problems. Number one is that it raises women's expectations because they go after a ten who just wants to sleep with them but now they think that that's their dating pool. They think that that's who they can end up marrying. Right. Whereas, whereas um, men, when they, when they date down, they don't really view this in the same way. And so I think the women are, are building this kind of like self-esteem of what they are looking for. It actually ends up being a lot higher. Now that's your point is that um, if you are in, let's say you're an intelligent, attractive woman and you want and you're, and you're dating, you're always dating up. Right. Well, um, number one, it's hard to find a, a guy. If you're, more intelligent who's also intelligent more intelligent than you like the smarter you get the more attractive you get there's just a smaller dating field. um but also as as you as women are, are in dating like a lot of times you get women who are attracted successful, all that and they'll get older looking for the right man and then they don't realize by the time they're 33 their actual options actually went down a lot because men select a lot on age and so women who want to become professionals first and they go okay i want to settle in afterwards it's like oh my 20s i dated all these hot successful men right but now my field is even lower because of that and so i think a lot of women end up and i've, I've maybe you said i've seen it with so many of my female friends who as they got older they you know used to date more successful drafts after they got strange like okay fuck it i'm just gonna get married to the guy who's giving me some attention right now because it's just too frustrating right yeah. um i'm gonna marry like the friend instead of like the one you know i might not be as attracted to him but at least he, he's successful and secure and all that and so i think women's expectations are getting higher. And since women are, are marrying later, then actually, it actually really hurts them a lot because they're not as valuable to sexual marketplaces they used to once be when they're getting those tens. Again, a lot of it's subjective, but I think you know what I mean.
0: Yeah, it's, um, it's really tough. Uh, it's, and you do constantly see, I think we, we kind of have this problem where like guys who are really successful now are choosing just to be polyamorous I mean they're they're not going for getting you know in the past it was like oh you know you might sleep around a little bit in the past I I assume but it's like you you would kind of get tied down and married pretty quickly and now it's like you actually have polyamory is kind of a multifaceted problem because the really successful guys are going to get a lot of women and then the women are kind of I think a lot of times emotionally tied. I mean, you they say you can do polyamory yes. without feelings. I don't. I don't know if you can always separate feelings from some people can, and I think most people. You can probably start to, can,
1: especially can. if you have a lot of sexual partners. Maybe at that point, but but yeah, I, I think that the issue. I I just uh, I just it, it puts a arrow in my heart when I hear the word polyamory. When guys are polyamorous, it's like guys want to fuck around a lot. Like I'm polyamorous, so I actually can't commit to you. It's complete BS acts. Um, I think that, I think we understand this, but I understand what you're saying. And that, yeah, like, a a lot of men will just choose to sleep with a lot of different women. And women get strung along. Before I was married, I was in the same boat, and I let a lot of women on. And a lot of women, they kind of went along with the show because they, I mean, it was slightly normal. Like, that that situation is not unheard of. Like, I'm dating a guy, and yeah, he sees other women, but it's not a big deal, whatever. And so that's a huge problem for women that women are kind of, like, just suckered into because they want to be with that high-status, successful guy and all that um and we're making it more, now especially with on polyamory we make it even easier because if, because if, back you know five years ago you know ten years ago is to say well he's a, a player right it's like it's a, it's a slightly negative connotation when it's like don't get involved. he's like a player he's not whatever but now it's like he's polyamorous just, He's just he's too loving and i've heard that from girls like oh no like he don't want to commit to me he just he just don't understand him. He, he's more of a guy who's like he's so full of love that he, he just can't love one person it's like oh my god <laughs> do you do you hear yourself right now like I can imagine the guys like, oh my God, I can't believe that works. Right. We're we're now like the, like, I think the feminist movement is like giving guys all these lines to use against them all the time. Like polyamory, if you're listening, no guy is polyamorous. Um, I mean, I don't think any really woman is either. Um, Yeah. We all have the capacity to love, uh, have multiple romantic partners, but I think that your love gets divided when that happens. And Mm -hmm. even if it doesn't. And most practically speaking, it's never going to work for jealousy reasons. Um, it's never worked for other practical reasons, such as who you end up getting married to, who ends up buying the house together, right? Those things will, will break apart. I mean, I know we haven't had this the polyamory thing for a very long time, but I think, that, hopefully, maybe I'm, just, maybe I'm just too hopeful, hopefully 10 years from now, we're all going to laugh and go, get out, it's kind of crazy what we we're thinking about that. Th- I'm probably wrong, but. Hopefully
0: it'll just be a hard to say. My uh my partner used yeah. to be polyamorous right up until he met me. And then I was like, uh, I'm Put not I'm not playing this game. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I'm not doing this. And he was like, all right. And uh yeah. it just worked out. But uh yeah, it's, I think it's
1: polyamorous up until you see what you can get away with. It's like, okay, well I want to be with that. Nash- I do want to be with one girl, so I guess I gotta jump everyone else.
0: Yeah. I think that's it. And um it it's interesting because he told me about this this thing that happens where I said, um, he's, I said, like, would you, like, would a polyamorous person be okay with, like, being right next to, like, right next door to a couple, you know, his girlfriend, and then another guy having sex, and he was like, oh, yeah, this is a common topic that we talk about, and no, like, usually they want to be far away. They don't want to, like, be near it, and so it's, like, because of jealousy, and it's like, okay, so you do feel jealousy, you're just kind of stuffing it into a box, like, you're like, oh, no, I want to stay away from it. And you're you're kind of just ignoring your feelings at that point. Exactly. If you wouldn't be okay with with her going and fucking another guy in the next room, then what? You're not really okay with it.
1: I, yeah, maybe polyamory is just people who are really, really good at ignoring their feelings, right? Yeah. And it's like if you really separate it and put it into a box, right? Most of us can't do that completely. Maybe the third is really, really good at it because yeah, you're right. Like if it's if it's bad to happen right in front of you, it's also bad to happen in you know in the building next door. Right? um just because you're not seeing it doesn't change the nature of acts right if you're feeling jealous for a reason because we're we're animals and we you know we we view our sexual properties as uh, sexual partners as property in a sense I know people don't like to see that word um but that's how it works in the animal kingdom right it's like we view that as ours and no one else wants to, to have sex with them because they're mm. ours mm. and so like yeah if you if you if you ignore it then maybe that problem goes away temporarily
0: mm. well it, when i when i first talked about this with him i was like i don't want to become polyamorous because i want your energy and and resources to go directly to me i don't want you to be divided and i mean it sounds selfish it's like i want i'm i'm being selfish in the sense, but like there's really no other way right now sorry
1: yeah no in our culture i guess it's not selfish but i mean what's what's selfish about wanting your romantic partner to be invested in you. Right. Yeah. Um, it's like, I want to be like, like, I want to be invested in you. You want to be invested in me and let's commit to that. Let's yeah. not bring anyone else into the mix with their own thoughts and feelings about what a relationship could be. Cause at the end of the day, if, if, if you're polyamorous, uh, you are a polyamorous partner, then it's not your relationship it's other people's relationships too. Cause they have some control over it at the end of the day. Mm. They have some emotional pull. Right. And so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really uh, against the idea now. Um, but uh, I guess kudos to the guys that are pulling it off.
0: <laughs> I'm really excited for like five-way divorce courts. <laughs> <laughs> when,
1: yeah, when They're like Both.
0: a bunch of parents.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure how like you heard of the whole entire of thing. That was a thing for a while. Didn't, didn't that like once they legalized throuples or maybe I'm maybe I'm, I'm misheard. I don't know. That sounds ridiculous, not that I'm saying that I'm saying that. But I don't think it sounds like super crazy far off. It's um, I mean, I guess that wouldn't make sense because I think I think for some reason polygamy is still illegal, um, yeah. which is weird because because like we accept it in our society, we don't accept it in our laws. I mean, it's completely accepted to have multiple partners and you know, to cohabitate before marriage and all these different things, but our law, I guess, is still kind of kind of a relic of the past <laughs> i mean it's, it's changes every single day
0: it Just it just would be so di- I, I assume it would be so legally difficult like it would be so much more difficult if you had three people that had to share in cust- in like divorce and in alimony and, and custody like it would just get more and more complicated in a way that i don't think we want yeah.
1: and and when you mentioned custody like i also wonder what these people who are polyamorous or throuples whatever you want to call it what they think will happen once they grow up and kids get involved. Um, like, could a kid um, be raised by a father and two mothers? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that could happen. Um, is it ideal? Probably not. There's probably going to be a lot of jealousy issues. Um, and again, if there's a divorce, what happens? A kid loses two mothers or you know, like, one, how does that work? You know? Mm. Um. It's, it's, yes. it's so, like, may, maybe it could work. I mean, like, there has been, like, uh, in, in America, I really do think that the, the best thing is, that, is, is a mother and a father um, and um, people might hear that and say, what about two parents, two gay men, two gay women? That's fine too. I still think it's probably ideal for mother and father, but there's been other sorts of um, uh, of upbringing across the world in which you had the whole entire community raising the child. Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily a bad thing, but I don't think it works in our system. I'd like to see a mother and father, or at least like we talked about before, like grandparents or family helping out. Yeah. And not like, because they're the ones that have the best interest in the child.
0: And I, I've said this to my my friends, a lesbian, and we've talked about having kids before. And I'm like, I, I've said this to her before too. Like, it's I'm sure it's being a lesbian mother is fine, but like, you want a male involved regularly. You want you want the other gen. You want the kid to see what the i a good person of the other gender looks like, and you want you want them to be a role model. Like whether it's an uncle, whether it's a friend, whatever it is, because it's probably not good for it child it's probably less than ideal for a child to grow up without seeing uh having like a mother figure or just a, a just a strong female figure or a strong male figure in their lives I mean it's just human yeah. like we we need that
1: yeah I mean my ultimate my thing is you know my, my sister's uh my sister's gay she's married to a woman and um and she's she's a great mother my, my issue is this is that if there was a difference um so like we talked about before like how there's a difference between um single mothers raising a child and a married couple right if there is a difference between a gay couple raising a child and a straight couple raising a child that would never ever 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 come out in any study because colleges would never allow that to happen and so there has been studies on this and it's been overwhelmingly positive and it's i like, actually um the, the children of gay parents um, will actually succeed in, 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 uh, in, in more ways than, 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 than uh, children raised under straight parents. Mm. Um, if you look in the studies, and the reason why is because gay people tend to have more money. They tend to be um, higher social class. And so their kids are naturally, they don't control for social class. The first thing you should do in a study. My point is, is that if there is a difference, I don't think that we'd ever even know that. And so I'm not saying that there is one. Um, I'm just saying that my concern is that in our society, we we could never figure out if there was. Mm. And again, like the difference would be like, what is it like, um, two parents definitely better than one, 100,000%. But what is it like when it's not both of the sexes at once providing different role models, like you said? I don't know. Um, and at the end of the day, um, that's the issue that is like so not worth fighting at all because the issue comes with single motherhood. Like, again, when it comes to two parents, as long as it's two parents, I'm on board with that. My issue is like, you know, I think the, one of the biggest problems of society is, is single motherhood.
0: Yeah. How- it's, it's interesting, too. Have you ever read the book, The Body Keeps the Score? No. It's a good book. Uh, it's about, it's a doctor who, it's a nonfiction. It's a doctor who's realized that, like, a bunch of his traumatized patients, like, uh, or even obese patients, patients with schizophrenia, like, chronic fatigue, like, um, autoimmune diseases and stuff, a bunch of them have had, like, severe childhood trauma. So there's a there's a huge correlation that he points out between childhood trauma and, like, also physical diseases, not only mental. Anyway, so he, he said that there was a government in one of the, in Norway, one of the Scandinavian countries, they did a, a government program where they would take parents and just show them how, like mothers specifically, and like show them how to raise kids. Because a lot of times parents don't actually know how to raise kids, like, especially if they had shitty parents themselves. Some parents yeah, he talked about would like play with the kid. And then the kid would, the baby would be like, like, do this. They wouldn't want to play anymore. They kind of shri- like shrink their head away. And then the mother would keep trying to play with them because she didn't understand body language. And then, so there was this government program where they came in and they were just like, Hey, here's some basic shit about raising a kid. Here's some like really simple stuff. And then they it reduced crime later on by like sevenfold. Like it was just amazing. Like it, it just, it, it had huge consequences. And I think uh, but we don't we don't see these kind of social programs I would love social programs where it's like oh if you if you pay a dollar you get seven dollars back later and everyone is more mature better raised less crime it's it's just I don't know we don't, don't seem think, to prioritize motherhood go on
1: um and I definitely think we should my my issue with that and I don't think what you're saying is inherently a, a, a problem mm-hmm. um however it, it depends on the government that is uh teaching you Right, like I don't trust the American government right now to teach people how to raise their children. Matter of fact, I would be extremely outraged if that were to happen in America. Extremely outraged. However, again, it, it depends on on the government because there are, you know, like a lot of people are like very absolute about things like oh, government control and all that. Well, it depends what the government's like. Um, like some governments are better than others in their policies, and so so it, it might be a work. I don't know really anything about Norway. It's annoying right yeah so like yeah. I, I mean maybe, maybe it, it could work there i'd be i mean also americans would never go for that because we're extremely pro freedom I mean, and fuck government <laughs> um well i mean maybe the past year we, <laughs> we haven't missed so much um but um i, I don't i don't really think it would work um but I, I i agree with you like these values are supposed to come from the grandmother and the, and the grandfather like you teach your kids, you raise your kids in a certain way that they know how to become parents, right? But if you both are working all the time, you know, a lot of people, like they go, they go to school, they love kids, they go to school and then they go to after school program and they come home at seven, they go to sleep at 11. They're there for a couple of hours and those couple of hours are not like, okay, kids, let me teach you about life. They're like, let's just watch TV. I'm tired the whole entire day working, right? And so we have lost so much, so much family time with the system we have now and which we don't really learn those values that you should, and so yeah, you might be right that if our society keeps breaking down to a point where, um, where we're not transmitting these ideas, it'd be great for a good authority to come and teach these ideas. I don't trust the U.S. government to do that, but uh, but my point is that hypothetically, I I think I like your idea, just not in the practical terms here.
0: Yeah, it would be, it would be nice if we could guarantee i mean you could i guess film them or something but if you could just guarantee that they're like going maybe it's voluntary first of all and maybe secondly they they're just not going to like throw any political like they're not going to throw any political shit in there it's just like hey your baby is frowning and trying to get away from you maybe he doesn't want to play right now but you it's the problem is i think we don't trust i don't trust the government with like simple tasks <laughs> it's just it's amazing how how bad they fuck everything up um yeah yeah i i mean there uh, are
1: there's what are supposed to be like my my mom went to think like mommy and me classes and that sort of thing where it's like it kind of teaches you all the basics those are good things and honestly like i'm you know i'm pretty on the right and um, I'm not really for government involvement in things, but if if we subsidize those sorts of classes, yeah, I'd be okay with that. Like, I'm, I'm I don't I don't think that subsidizing daycare is a good idea at all, no. but subsidizing classes for mothers to be better mothers, yeah, I have no problem with that at
0: all. Yeah, that'd be good. Something like that. Support the businesses. Mm. Yeah, it's mm. we fem femininity. I think has has really. It's interesting. Fem, feminism has has seemed to somehow disregard femininity in all of its different forms uh there so before we talked about this idea that uh polyamorous cultures or polygamous cultures have more violent men and so we've already seen like this this kind of proof that women tend to civilize men like femininity inherently is valuable in many ways um not that we really need proof of that but in the past, we used to have these, these societies where women were homemakers. And I say this a lot, but like women homemakers, it didn't just mean you were like a slave and you were cooking, cleaning all day and you had nothing else to do. You were out probably talking to the other women. You were out watching your kids. You were, you were doing a lot of different things in the community. You were probably making food for the old lady next door. And In that way femininity had this place of bringing the community together of weaving it together and then when we have we have this very capitalist society and suddenly they were like oh we can make women work we can just get twice as much productivity out of people and suddenly femininity was worth less than the economy and so we have this gradual we've had this gradual shift towards women going to work and then really not prioritizing child rearing and yeah, I, I don't, I don't exactly know the solution to that.
1: Um, well, it's it's funny because when we started really encouraging to go for women to, to be in the workforce, that was when we invented right after we invented a bunch of things to make women's job at home even easier, mm. right? I shouldn't say even easier because it was a very hard job, but um, like dishwashers, washing machines, like all these electric appliances mm. that would make things easier. And then, okay, so now you can, you have more hours to kind of spend, And it's like, okay, well actually now that we have that, now you can go into the workforce and you can make a couple extra dollars, right? Um, So what you were saying before, the way that used to be was that men were in charge of the political sphere um, and kind of like the systems of, of how the country operated um and uh, uh, building things um you know like, like creating things outside of the home and women were in charge of the social worlds and the family world so like you said like a woman's job was to be a master of the home and you know like you know, there was all those 1950s cartoons where it's like you know the, the father comes home he's tired and then like the boy comes up and wants to complain about something and the mother's like don't don't bother your father when he's smoking his cigar and reading the newspaper right because the idea was it's like you know the father should only come in when there's like a huge dispute when it can't be resolved. The mother is in charge of what around the household, and the mother was the one that coordinated all the the, the 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 social aspects of the community. And so women would talk within neighborhoods, and that brings the community together. W- women are 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 better at socially bonding and, and, and navigating these social uh, uh, environments in this land. I think men can make probably friends easier. But women create kind of different social bonds. I think to build a community together, um, even more so. And so um, it's, it's no wonder that um, you know a long time ago people would know their neighbors, and now a lot of people don't know their neighbors or have to go out of their way, or it's a weird thing. Um, I just bought a house recently, and I went and I uh, introduced myself to all the neighbors, and then I was I was just you know talk. to him like, oh, so what do you think about this guy right over here? It's like, oh, I never met him. You never met him. You've been living here for 15 years. You yeah. ever met this guy? You say, oh, I know his name. It's like, why haven't you said hi to him? Right, it's like if this guy's living near you, like uh, you know, I don't see anything wrong with him, and so like I, I I'm you know, it's one trying to to you know meet these people because we lost that sense of of communal life, and what could be more important than your more most local uh, community, and maybe with the advent of internet and, and, and cable and all that, people kind of just treat their home like it's their own safe world and never have to leave except when they go to work. But I don't think that's how most people want to live. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that when you have mother and father working all day long, who wants to go meet the neighbors afterwards? Mm. (laughs) Right? But it's a lot easier when you have uh, homemakers who are meeting each other and, oh, the, the Johnsons are coming over for dinner later. And like having that communal bonding between people, which resolves conflicts, right? It's, it's it, You are not have to have a conflict with your, if your neighbor, if you're friends with them, right? Like, oh, look at the, the fence line. And is it over on, on my property, your property? That doesn't happen mm-hmm. when you're friends with someone. You can resolve those things. You yeah. need to have women provide that social lubricant, um, that, uh, that society needs, um, um, through kind of that communal bonding.
0: Yeah we have these skyrocketing rates of depression too and I, no wonder I mean we don't we don't talk to people like we don't have these yeah. social interactions on a daily basis one of the best ways to make friends is just to be in a location where at random intervals you're going to see them a lot so that's why school is so easy to make friends like you, you just see them regularly and that's kind of what neighborhoods are they're great for that but we, we've We've lost that, and especially in the pandemic, I mean everyone's inside on zoom that's how that's our main form of communication now. We're getting more and more uh introverted by by social measures
1: yeah and we're and we're teaching young children right now that it's uh you know it's a bad thing to be around strangers about people you don't know, like you don't know the risk around them I mean I mean strangers are a good thing for a reason, but not to be overly afraid of you know someone breathing near you, et cetera. Um, the damage we do to our children is maybe a, a whole other topic. Um, but uh, to what we were saying, I think that uh, certain areas are better than others. Like, um, I'm from South Florida in Miami, and um, you would walk by someone and people just avoided your gaze. Like, if they want to talk to you if you're walking your dog. Like, it wasn't like a, even a hello situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but I moved to Chicago for a while. It's had that Midwestern friendliness. So even in a big city I was living downtown, people would still say hi to each other.
2: Like, hi, yeah. look like
1: at each other. Hi, how's it going? Or go to the elevator. Hi, how's it going? Yeah. Make little small talk, something like that. Um, so the culture is different in different places um, right now I'm on the west coast of Florida near Tampa, and it's definitely friendly in South Florida, but you can, you can tell the difference with these things mm-hmm. um, and I think most people would rather live in it's you know in an area where people smile at each other. I mean it's not like a, sm- a, a a small thing, but smiling at people is very disarming and makes you like a place a lot more
0: yeah, and I, I think there's a change that we could be in the world as well. I mean just smiling at the people around you is probably i i would i think you'd be surprised i think a lot of people would be surprised at how much it affects your day-to-day experience if you just walk around and smile at people that's all
1: yeah and if you notice especially if you're in a big city or let's say i'm walking by someone walking my dog in my past example and oh let's say i want to smile at them but they're like like this all the time
2: yeah you know they're
1: looking at their phone and they're they're messaging if you go on public transit um people are all it's on their phone um which uh you know, big cities is maybe to avoid like all the crazy homeless people. I was in Chicago recently mm-hmm. again, and yeah, it was, I, I wish I had was staring with all the entire time. <laughs> I wasn't doing yeah. like nobody nobody. Um, but that's a bad society to live in where you're so disconnected, where the people walk in, you're not even human beings. There's objects that go by you, you don't, you know, don't acknowledge them, don't acknowledge each other. That's not a community. That's something else.
0: You need the homelessness in America. When I was there, I was, I was shocked. Like Australia has... The homeless people in Australia want to be homeless, like literally. You have you have service workers who go over to them and they're like, "Hey, do you want a house?" And they're either too schizophrenic or like they don't. They literally just don't want to be outside. Like they just want to be outside. They don't want to. They don't want a house. Some of them own houses and then they just fucking live outside. So we have almost no homeless people, but in the states they're everywhere. And especially I lived in Seattle. It was crazy. It, It was just unsafe. Like and and there's this extra level. Of of uh, anxiety that I got because as I see this fucking guy talking to himself, walking down the street like punching the air, I'm like, oh, he might, he could have a gun, he could also <laughs> own a firearm. I don't know. Yeah, it's yeah, it was
1: insane. A hundred percent. And I would say in America, it's the same sort of homeless people you get, where some might have mental illness, and some of the people are like, nah, just want to live outside. Um, and it's something that you grow, uh, grow um, a thick skin to when you live in the city. I lived in Chicago. I had homeless people come up. I had, like, I had multiple guys with liquor bottles. Um, like, well, one guy like trying to fight me, which I, I don't want to fight a homeless guy on the side of the street with people around me while he has a liquor bottle in his hands. <laughs> I've and also had a homeless person to try
0: to fight
1: me. You, you can imagine. Um, other, other situations like that. Um, and you try kind of grow a thick skin to it. And um, I, I lived outside of Chicago for a while. I've been in Florida. I went back to the business of some friends recently and I, I lost my thick skin and i'm in the grocery store and this guy's talking to himself I'm like, all right whatever and then i hear something like he's talking to himself he goes yo hide that shit the cops are here i'm like uh-oh i don't know what he's hiding to himself but i'm out of here right like i started i started getting real anxiety around people I'm like i'm like is this guy looking at me like why is this guy pacing back and forth right in front of me like what do i even do here you kind of lose that and i i remember just like thanking god like i'm glad i be out of this city. i forgot i could use like, you, you just go like a thick skin to how weird that is and and you just get used to it, but it's not. Yeah, it's not good when you, when you aren't used to it for sure. I can't imagine how tourists feel these days going to all these big cities.
0: Yeah, I, I feel like it has an impact, even if we don't realize it. Even if it's like, oh, I grew a thick skin. For me, it felt like I was an extra level of anxious or stressed any time I was in the city. Like, I'm. I guess I'm pretty hyper aware. I'm like always watching people in, in body language and stuff. But there would be times in the city when I would like pause, like I would stop talking because somebody was freaking out and I was just like I had to watch them and in certain situations your your speaking brain turns off you just can't talk anymore and that would happen to me like frequently because there would just be like what I perceived as a threat coming down your animal brain turns
1: on like fight fight or flight
0: yeah yeah exactly yeah so it's like oh what you know so um I think that
1: like I'm 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 six foot six I'm like close to 300 pounds and I feel anxious in situations we've created a society that that is really telling women that they shouldn't be around. Cause I can't imagine what it's like being a woman and, and walking around in the daylight of Chicago, of certain areas, uh, much less at nighttime riding a train. Like a lot of like, women know like I'm not going to go late at night and ride a train with myself in a big city. Mm-hmm. Like, and that shouldn't be a, a, a thing we're ever concerned about that. Cause if you've ever been to, I was in, I was in Seoul uh, in Korea uh, two years ago before the pandemic and completely clean like no crime like people that weren't afraid of each other right and it's sh- like as a woman like you know you're obviously gonna feel threats in a bigger way women are smaller they're more vulnerable to crime and um, we set up a society in which women feel uncomfortable even be around mm.
0: mm-hmm. yeah in, in, right it's not yeah, the cat
1: calling it's the homeless people <laughs> that yeah. are really scary
0: ones <laughs> yeah no I cat I mean cat calling it's whatever but I have a, like a, a, a look don't touch policy. Like, as long as you're not trying <laughs> – as long as I don't – as long as you're not trying to, like, put your hands on me, it's fine. No. Like, I don't mind. Uh, that's well, a what I mean by
1: cat comedy is, like, the stereotypical, like, the construction worker over the fence. It's like, yeah. whatever. It's different where, you know, you're on a subway train, you can't get away, and the guy gets in your face. And, like, yeah. you know, that's a whole different thing. Right? That, that, I'm not talking about that. That's yeah. terrifying. <laughs> that's a
0: physical threat. That's, like – that's to yeah, me, that's, exactly. like, the beginning of a physical threat. But, yeah, it's um it's exactly. rough. I, it's So I, I think almost – the situation in the states like i feel like there's so many i i talked about this before uh on another video but i i actually think if you study like cults actually the u.s is is has a bunch of predispositions towards being like so one thing about cults is that they're they're uh it's not just like a, a religion it's also the the same mindset and and kind of brainwashing techniques can be used for like you know amway uses them and like um pimps will use them on on prostitutes and stuff like abusive relationships like they're it's all the same kind of techniques and so there's like your
1: family has yeah, a lot of techniques
0: yeah, yeah for sure like um lack of sleep is a huge one and mm-hmm. uh this thing like it's called love bombing like you're so you just love them so much and you're just all this good positive attention and then when they do the wrong thing it's just completely cut off and it's like ignored or um there's uh i mean there's all sorts of like emotional manipulation like changing the past like you have some past actions and then if you look at them like if i look at my past it's fine but if i get brainwashed it's like oh my dad abused me because he said this one thing one time all these different things so america actually and I think the the threat of violence, the constant undertones of violence, especially in major cities, I think are a huge contributing factor to, like, this more and more polarized society. Like, um, uh, we, we have, but especially lack of sleep. Like, Americans, they used to get, I mean, you're supposed to get eight hours of sleep or whatever, now... The average American is getting like six hours of sleep. That's the average. So, a lot more Americans or a lot of Americans are getting like four hours of sleep, five. And I don't, if you want to build a, a, a good solid society, five hours of sleep is not the right amount for it. Six hours of sleep.
1: Yeah. I think we all know. I mean, we've had uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs for 150 years now. um But even when it comes to like the pandemic, um, it's the same sort of situation where it's like, instead of focusing on the things we know that humans benefit from, adequate sleep, um, proper nutrition, uh, exercise, that sort of thing, we focus on other things. Um, like, uh, not to bring it to coronavirus so much, but like, I guess I've been wondering, like we've been, it's been, the reason I'm actually bringing this up is that, I have a mm-hmm. friend of mine who this year, he went on a weight loss journey, he was morbidly obese. He lost 120 pounds this year, so far. he probably gets to 150 by the end of this year because it's such a slow down after a bit. And, you know, one of the biggest risk factors for coronavirus is obesity. Yeah. Well, coronavirus has been around for, I mean, it's going to be almost two years uh, soon, December or November, depending on how you view it. And, you know, it would be really great if our, if our health officials told us, hey, start exercising and diet, right? Because yeah. we knew that was a risk factor for a while. But we'd never say anything like that. You know, we, we focus on, hey, Big Pharma wants us to to bring in these drugs, and they're our masters. So don't look at the generic drugs. Look at these. Don't look at, you know, like – you." you never hear that from public health officials to, to really watch what you eat and to exercise, which are some yeah. of those important things. Um, and, you know, uh, like addiction to fast food and, um, you know, I mean, I think that some sort of the biggest problems are addiction to food, and addiction to sex in our society, never really talked about. I mean, we talk about addiction to drugs, mm-hmm. um, but other, other forms of addiction that are more common aren't discussed.
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting, addiction to sex. Yeah, it's... Uh... I, and once again, like I, I believe the vaccine works. I don't think it doesn't work. But I also believe that there are definitely financial incentives strongly pointing towards us using the vaccine. And there are all these studies early on, and there's still studies now. I, I read one that was published like two days ago that show that vitamin D is it just has a massive effect on coronavirus. And the vast majority of people, 90% of people are, are deficient in vitamin D. So like most people, almost everyone has terrible vitamin D levels. Even if you get sun, unless you're like a labor worker, like a construction worker, you probably have terrible vitamin D levels and just going outside or like taking a vitamin D tablet every day is, is enough to bolster you. I mean, someone said it it reduced your rate of mortality by itself by like 50%. So that's controlling for obesity, stuff like that. So if you lose weight, and reduce your vitamin D levels. So wait, uh, being I obese is not
1: getting vitamin D from the sun.
0: Yeah. Um right. but even if even if you don't want to get vitamin even if you want to change nothing about your lifestyle, you can take a pill. It's not as good, but you can do it. And so so like 50% reduction for vitamin D and then another 70% reduction for obesity, I think it was. I mean, that's pretty fucking good. That's a that's an excellent way to reduce the harm that coronavirus is do to you. And I have heard no governments at all talking about this at all.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I had coronavirus. Um, it was extremely mild for me because I'm, I'm young and healthy. Um, my wife did as well, um, not really any symptoms, but lots, lots of sense of smell, but that's not really, feels like a huge deal. Mm. Um, and I, I think that um, to, to, to what you said, it's like that, uh, the public health officials, they'll, t- I'm not against the vaccine at all. Yeah. Like, I just think it's a, it's a risk benefit sort of thing. Mm-hmm. The risks are a little bit unknown. I'm not saying you can grow a third leg or anything like that. It's yeah. just that if there's no benefit to me, I don't have antibodies, I'm not to take it. But mm-hmm. i told my grandmother who's obese and has, you know, past bronchitis and diabetes, you should definitely get it. I'm not going to visit you until you get it, right? So mm-hmm. definitely not against it. Depends on the person. But yeah, you never hear them talk about, there's the, um, I don't know where I don't know if you, you can take it off of YouTube, but there's all the prophylactic drugs like um, ivermectin and hydrochloroquine yeah. that provide some sort of benefit. But the problem is because of generics, there's like, oh, there's not good evidence, but these are, there's no there's no uh, like uh, large scale studies on this. It's like, well, the reason why is because who's paying for the studies? If it's generic, <laughs> no conducting. drug company is doing it. Yeah. That's where the US government actually has a role to actually do these studies. Because, you know, no private industry, why would, it, why, would it, why would a private person ever do a large-scale study, spend millions of dollars on studying if ivermectin is affected, if they can't patent it? <laughs> They're not gonna do it. And so I'm not saying that the vaccines are bad. I'm just saying that we don't have as much evidence as we need for other treatments, because we're not purposely, the, the system is built to not get that evidence. Yeah. That's why generic drugs are never gonna be recommended. That's why diet and exercise are never gonna be recommended, because who's gonna do those studies?
0: Yeah, ivermectin is an interesting one. Oh, for sure. I mean, it's so it's a it's a generic drug. I believe uh, it has a lot of past. We know from past studies that it has a lot of um, it works against Zika virus, like a lot of different types of viruses. And it's it's relatively harmless. It's relatively um, side effect free. We you know, nothing is but it's pretty good. So there have been some studies in there was a study in South America somewhere that showed like 100% efficacy. It was just 100% of people who took it prophylactically didn't get COVID. And now that's a little bit fishy to me, but I'm not sure. But then there was a study in Egypt that was completely wrong. Okay, right now we have all these studies that are being published that are complete garbage because nobody's really checking them. And so right now we just have this influx of garbage and some good stuff and we don't know what's what. But the problem is the US government isn't doing any widespread studies of ivermectin. So we actually don't, now we're, we're looking at shit from Egypt and South America and we have no idea whether it's good. We 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 don't have a US government approved study. And so they're saying there's no epi- we don't know if ivermectin's good. Well, you're not trying to prove whether it's good or not. You're just telling us that you're not sure. And well,
1: doubly is like you're not trying to make it's good and you are censoring people and banning people from the internet. This is earlier on for even talking about it.
0: Yeah, YouTube. YouTube is banning people for talking about ivermectin. Would- yeah. We're we're kind of. And, and, and this- and it, and
1: it, Go on. I, I don't know if you've seen the Dark Horse podcast. It's with Brett Weinstein yeah. and his wife. I forget her wife's name. Yeah. But they they're both biologists. They were talking about it for a while, and they they got you know strikes against them, and the clipper moves were talking about it. Um. And he's like, yeah, i just weighed the pros and cons the literature, and I mean, there's not really going to be any harm, so I'm going to start using this as a prophylactic, and got taken down because of it right and it's like the now we have the arbiters which is really a wing of the government now with these tech companies who are literally saying like no we have to censor because the, if the governments we follow what the government says that's their, their argument now say like, oh so you are a wing of the government if you are censoring based on what the cdc says or the government wing says um, which is a problem
0: they weren't doing that when trump was in office though were they they weren't <laughs> <laughs> they weren't censoring people. Uh, I don't know what for, what they would have censored them for, but like they weren't censoring people for Trump in the past. They weren't censoring people who were like uh, Trump's an idiot for saying the vaccine's going to come around. Oh,
1: oh no, 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 no. Yeah, well, because like Kamala Harris said, it, a lot of people said, "I don't want to trust this vaccine," <laughs> right? Uh, I mean, last year it was Dr. Fauci was the one that was saying masks they're not that effective. Maybe you get some droplets if you sneeze, but not in general. Surgeon General said so um well Harris, i don't trust the vaccine level well, the democrats said that um but yeah but, yeah, yeah there it, has been there has been a shift again that's the thing is like it makes us so we're not against the vaccine but it but it makes us even go ah this is a little bit too much for me why are they pushing it down my throat and why are they censoring everything else
0: yeah um i i wonder if we'll if we'll kind of enter a new era of of perhaps different websites alternates from youtube like I, I use the Brave browser now instead of Google Chrome. And uh, I don't know if you know, do you know what the Brave browser is? Yeah, yeah so I'm, I'm a huge fan of cryptocurrency, so I'm like super into it, but like they pay you to watch ads and all the other ads are censored and you also don't have to watch ads if you don't want to. But they just came out with a search engine and then they created, they created a VPN too. And they're suddenly, I feel like they're taking over the tech space and they're trying to encroach on Google. And I'm using the Brave uh, search engine now. I'm using, I don't use the VPN, but I'm using Brave all the time. Like as soon as another uh, an, another competitor presents a, a product that is just as good as Google's products, I'm going straight to it. Like I don't, and no. so I, I wonder if the rest of society, I mean, Brave now has something like 12 million daily users. It's just growing. I, I think
1: this, this, we This is for now though, it took us to a certain size. Look, look, you know what happened to Parler, right? Parler is an alternative to Facebook and Twitter. Right, mm-hmm. Parlor was at one point the most downloaded app on the planet more than wow. any other app. Yeah, so that's how big Parlor got, and they took it down. The Apple and Google said, "No, we can't have it on our phones," which effectively eliminates it because there's only two types of phones we have. They all work together. They took down Parlor, and Parlor never came back from that. Right. And that same thing that same happened with Gab. Um, Gab kind of had its own issues in the public before that point, but they also took Gab down other social media alternative because they know that if it, if these alternatives come up, people start to flock to them. And then the huge billion dollar companies and Facebook and Twitter, all these ones will start to lose market share. So they all work together to help each other out. And so Brave sounds great. Um, I use .go. I don't know if that's a browser or a search engine. I thought it was a the browser search
0: engine. Well.
1: Okay, well, I guess I'm using Internet Explorer then. Yeah, nice. <laughs> maybe, 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 maybe he's Brave. Yeah, I'm a boomer, I guess. I'm only 30. Um, so like yeah, maybe it's good for now, but but then once Brave gets big enough, I already know that they're gonna come after it. I already know it. Um these tech companies are not going allow competitors to go, they're running, they have extremely monopolistic practices. And they bought both sides, both parties, both political parties. And so they're not going to be investigated the way they should and never going to be any antitrust action against them. So this is to keep on taking over and either buying competitors or finding ways to ban their competitors.
0: Yeah, we we do have some interesting issues. What do you think about, like, corporate monopolies? Because uh, anti, so anti-monopoly so uh, anti legislation would, would essentially make it's so really large companies like Amazon say had we split up into multiple companies. I think that's that's kind of what the, I understand. The
1: idea is that it's, it's not just necessarily that it's large, that it also has to have monopolistic practices, so so unfair practices. And so for example, so um there's a there's a couple of YouTube alternatives. One of the big ones gaining traction is, is is Rumble. Rumble's YouTube alternative, hmm. and YouTube is banning um certain like promotions of Rumble on its platform. Well, that is, that's uh, an anti-free market um, uh, practice because you're banning discussion of your competitor beyond your platform. Again, it's a private company, so it's a little bit harder than that. Whenever you act in a way like, so like Microsoft got in trouble back in the day, because they um, had Windows 95 on their computers. And they would only sell computers or they, they worked out deals with companies that, that they had to have Windows 95 installed. I forgot exactly what it was, mm-hmm. but we've done this in the past. We haven't had any big antitrust lawsuits um, recently. However, the European Union has been going after companies and, and tech companies and fine them for privacy concerns and they're doing these antitrust things over there. How it would work with these tech companies? I don't know because you hear a lot of people saying, like, um, when um, Standard Oil from uh, the, the, the Rockefeller fortune um uh, the biggest oil company in the world when they got split up i think it was the 1930s they split up into like 12 different oil companies right but that's mm-hmm. not the work with facebook you can't split up facebook into 12 different companies because the viewers are to flock to one of them right so those really work i mean if i was a dictator my second time saying it today you can tell i really want to be a dictator if i was a dictator i would just ban social media
0: even youtube
1: i don't consider youtube social media yeah. um but i'm talking about facebook twitter TikTok, i think those are all extremely negative things for society because it takes our our play just like fast food and i'm not saying we should ban fast food just yet um but no i don't think we should ban fast food. but just like fast food plays in our uh, kind of like primitive desire for um uh, meat and sugar and salt um social media uh, companies uh play in our inherent desire for social acceptance and social conformity and when it comes to the public square which is, this has become it just starts to to completely get pockets of different ideas in society and then it completely um uh, separates people like the right and the left are getting farther and farther apart people are getting trapped into their own little bubbles of the whole, of the internet and ideas are becoming more extreme because you want that social acceptance um not to mention we're all addicted to our phones um not just our phones but the apps right i'm sure I mean, you're a better person than me if you haven't, but lots of people can can recognize that feeling where you're doing something, all of a sudden you're on Facebook, like, how did this happen? How am I on Facebook right now? I clicked on this on my phone, right? So we all recognize that feeling because they play on this inherent primitive weakness of ours. And there should be some sort of government regulation against companies doing this. Again, I know my my joke before is that if you take my argument so far, you'd also ban fast food and stuff. So like, it's not like an absolute principle. It's more like we need to balance these things. To me, social media doesn't have any benefits um, It um, uh, or any benefits that even come close to the negatives it has in society, I should say.
0: It has a lot of benefits if you're using it correctly. I mean, it, so it, I think if you're creating content, uh, it has a lot of benefits. It has tons of benefits because it's great for businesses
1: to to advertise right like you reach a lot of people it targets interests extremely well 100 percent, that's true yes
0: and i mean i'm trying to think because i use i guess reddit would be my main platform and even so it's not super social like you don't i guess you talk to people but you don't communicate directly but um like reddit is it's like candy, like I just scroll through until I find that dopamine hit of, of like an yeah. interesting fact or something. And now that I, you know, when I, when I really think back to it, it's like the amount of time that I spent on Reddit versus the amount of useful information I've gained is quite low. I mean, I, I could get a ton of information from a book. I know what I'm getting, uh, it's, yeah. it's, it's relevant to my life, but Reddit is somehow like a lottery, like a, a dopamine hit. What do you think about, like... Uh... kind of
1: like so- soccer versus basketball. It's like, if you want to celebrate every point in basketball, you're celebrating a lot. But in soccer, it's a big build-up. When he finds it, It's like, yeah, the score, or I found this piece of information, it's a huge hit. Then you go on to the next one, you're, you're searching for it. No, I understand. I think that there's a balance when it comes to that, again, because Reddit isn't social media in the same way Facebook is. Um, and the, I think the biggest thing is that the, the feeds are a little bit different. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I haven't maybe ever been on reddit maybe like you know like in terms of like having an account and all that but like it like i don't know if reddit targets your interest in a way and then um you know, it puts people into different communities i guess they do stuff it that it's absolutely maybe does. it's just maybe it's just as bad no, i'm talking no i'm explaining myself um <laughs> maybe i mean since I've used it, maybe some subtle points but but i wasn't talking about all social media but but yeah definitely a lot of it is, is inherently negative at least reddit is supposed to be all that information no it's
0: it's it's a. Uh... Again, it's kind of what you make it. Like I've kind of gone through my social media feed and been like, okay, so I want positive shit. Like I want useful yeah. stuff. One of my favorite subreddits that's uh, a little bit controversial, but whatever. It's uh, I mean it's not really. It's called Red Pill Women and it's like mm-hmm. strategies for getting married. And then it's 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 an awesome, it's it's just a great subreddit. It's like um Yeah, and yeah it's it's great it's it's also like how to be a good wife to your husband and like you know it's it's just i've i've had so many really useful pieces of advice and tips from that and that's kind of i think probably one of my most frequented subreddits but it, it's like Here's, um go mm-hmm.
1: on no sorry you can continue.
0: oh yeah it's like uh i mean some of the best some of the best uh advice there is for marriage for instance is just like hey if you're a woman um This is something I don't see women necessarily doing as much as I think they should. But it's like uh you better like tone down on what you're asking for in a man. (laughs) Like for instance, for me, like intelligence is huge. And so it's like, okay, so if I want intel, you know, I'm already with a person, it's amazing. But when I was looking, it was like, okay, so I want intelligence. And so I need to forfeit like if he's bald. I, I can't, I can't make that a selection criteria. If he's not six foot, I can't make that a selection criteria. Like if he doesn't have exactly the job I would like him to have, you know, I can't, I need to forfeit that because uh, values are so important. And it, like, it really made me prioritize values. And even just the way they talk is, um, they, they talk about the man as the the captain of the relationship and then the woman is the, like, the first mate. And so the first mate is super important, super valuable, but she's not the leader. She's not the one who's, like, executing on the, the, um, she's not telling everyone what to do and, like, kind of controlling the environment, but she is bringing new information. She's keeping the ship clean. I don't know. She's doing a bunch of really important stuff and you need both. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I've, I think, yeah, go on.
1: I, I, I think that the um, the issue that a lot of women are finding is that it's, like, I think that all women naturally desire a leader and desire a man who can provide them with security and comfort. The issue is, is that we're creating a society of men who aren't ready to fill that role. And so, like, if you're a woman, like, okay, well, I'm, I'm ready to be um, submissive in a relationship for the right leader, mm-hmm. right? Someone who could make me feel comfortable being the best mate or whatever the, first mate or whatever the term was, but do not necessarily find that in, the so- in society. Or it's, or, it's, or it's hard to know if you're finding that leader because you really can't just trust anybody to be the captain of the ship. And that ends up being the hard part. Um, I think that's what we were saying before. Well, like, you know, Tony, now what you're looking for is that if you're, if you're dating, um, and again, example since women date up and you find, hey, I dated that guy, did that guy, extremely successful. that guy, extremely attractive. say that guy, extremely funny, right? and then when you're dating someone new you're comparing them of course because you because we're all humans we're comparing to people who've dated in the past and you go oh he's not as smart as that one though So like, mm-hmm. i don't know if he's gonna be right for me. he's not as attractive as this well again you're not gonna find everything all in one right but after dating for a while you start to kind of feel that way where it's like you know you're, you're comparing past relationships and the more you date the more you start to compare really looking for something that doesn't exist
0: mm. oh that's so true i think um I think you're right in that a lot of men aren't taking on leadership roles, but I, I think um, as a woman, you have the ability to at least help him take on a leadership role in a bunch of ways. Like for instance, just letting him decide on different shit. Like one, one is, um, in the, there's this book called The Surrendered Wife, which is kind of the red pill women. Like it's, it's one of the books that they always recommend. And um, in, she says like, if your husband's driving, don't tell him where, like, what route to take. If he knows where he's going, don't like try to control his shit all the time. You know, if if he's definitely taking the wrong turn and he's going the wrong way, like maybe let him know, right? Let him know, like, give him the information if he doesn't have the information. But if he already has the information, let him do what he's doing. It's it's just. in so women many have
1: many uh, yeah. Women have not learned the example from their mothers, who maybe never knew the example of how to talk to men. So the classic example I give is that. Woman, if you're, if you're cold, you don't tell your husband, can you make the thermostat lower? You say, I'm cold. Yeah. Right. Because if you say, I'm cold. All oh, chilly in here. Then the husband's like, oh, I can go and satisfy her. I can go do this. And then they go do this. And then he feels good by himself. If you tell a man to go do that, he's not going to feel good about himself. Men don't like being told what to do. Yeah. Right and so if you suggest things in a way, men do naturally i mean a good man, maybe maybe some girls out there don't have this in their partner, but yeah. a good man wants to satisfy their partner, and so if you provide them with things that would satisfy you in a way that's not telling them, then they will try to satisfy it, yeah, and so that's really important learning how to communicate in that way for sure
0: yeah, um there's this really wonderful quality in in I think most men that is that They want to be a provider and they want to give, as like they want to provide for women. That's why I think that's why OnlyFans works because they're all these oh, men uh, who are yeah, like, I'm, I'm assisting to give women money and <laughs> they just do it. I don't know, I can't uh, explain any other reason, but um, that's it happens a, all I've like. never.
1: I've never understood why that it's that, that 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 works. The OnlyFans how to have a consumer base, but I think that's the best explanation I heard actually. Is that they have this- nothing else to kind of provide. So they want to find someone to care for and you get this whole entire and I'm sure the girls at OnlyFans know how to play it up and then um you know they feel like, oh I'm their support system, right? Because so men naturally have that desire to support a woman.
0: Yeah. I knew this girl who um who would like go on tinder without even meeting the guys and she would get them to send her uber eats deliveries like just for she got free meals without even having to go on dates it was just
1: must be nice to be a pretty girl
0: yeah she wasn't even pretty she wasn't even must
1: must be nice to be a girl
0: yeah (laughs) girl like she was not great looking uh just psychopathic too like but anyway um as as you would be um but there is this interesting thing where like the woman, we, we have been told all all our lives that we have no power in a relationship, but we have so much power. Like you control the dynamics. So if you're more feminine, if you allow him to be a leader, he will naturally rise to that role. And, and like, if you tell him there, there was one that I, you know, that seems to work. It's like, if you say that you want something, right. There's this interesting thing where you're telling him your emotions and then you're leaving it to him. And So if you say like, I want to, I would like to get pizza tonight and you let him decide whether you get pizza or not. If he decides, no, you don't like throw a fit because you're not controlling him. You're not telling the captain what to do, but you're allowing him to fulfill that need in you. And then he gets to feel like he provided. And then you oftentimes get more than you would have gotten before. And you're not like telling him, Hey, we need to get like, we're getting pizza tonight. I've decided we're, you know. And so,
1: yeah, it has to be subtle. It has to be more like, oh, I'm really craving pizza. Yeah. Right. Yeah. W- women have the ability, women in general communicate with each other in more subtle ways than men communicate with each other. Women are better at communicating subtly. And so that's why, like, female bullying and male bullying are so different, right? Like, a lot of times, female bullying will be something men can't even see, right? Men don't even know what's happening. And then, like, you know, talk to women before, it's like, oh, can you believe that? I'm like, what? Is like, hear how she said that? I'm like, no, oh, I didn't hear anything. What, what's happening? all the other girls like oh i heard that it's like oh you know i didn't notice because women have more subtle ways of communicating and men are usually more direct and so women could do things in a subtle way again i can't teach it to women but i'm sure that's so the mother's role is to teach them earlier on right or at least to learn it from their friends or pick up examples of how to keep, how to do things in a subtle way to number one I mean, one thing that's important for, for for men is men's egos so boosting a man's ego is, is really important especially if you want to be a leader Right. Like a man, if he's confident enough, will try to be a leader. But if you put him down, then he's not going to be the leader because he's not going to be confident. Right. And so, I mean, it's obviously a balance. You don't want your husband to think he's hot shit and, you know, deserves multiple wives and stuff like that. Or to be better than you. But, you know, but but boosting his ego is a good thing in order to have a, a, a healthy marriage, I think.
0: Oh, that's such a good point. Let me ask, what made you decide that your wife was the one?
1: Um, I think that when, uh, I met my wife, that was five years ago, I had been dating a lot of women and, uh, it was, I was, um, it was before I went to Northwestern Law School and I was about to practice for a big firm doing Mergers and Acquisitions. And that summer in between my law school in Chicago and where I work, also in Chicago, I went down to South Florida where I'm from since I'm a family. So when I was there, I wasn't thinking I'm going to meet my future wife. I was just dating around, Right um but um i met i met my wife and you know sparse sparse flew but it, it wasn't necessarily like you know uh i mean it doesn't have to be like oh this is a person to to mary although i was like oh we like this girl this girl's cool and as our relationship progressed i, I realized there's all these kind of personal qualities i liked in her she was kind of like kind of opposite of me um and, and personal i think that opposite personalities um match but it's like you, you these have similar interests opposite personalities is, is what mm-hmm. i believe because if you don't have similar interests you're not gonna be able to to do a lot of things together, um, but I remember she 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 cooked me a, a a big meal without me asking, and it was delicious. And what they what did your, what did your mother say? It's like uh, what's it the a man's heart is through stomach, right? Mm-hmm. It's like cl- classic wisdom, right? So I you know I didn't ask her I was like oh this is really nice, right? And I started seeing all these other qualities in her, and then so even at the time I wasn't looking, right? And I've been dating a lot of girls, and no one else kind of like did the sort of things that she did. Was in, a, in a very feminine way obviously she's attractive she's also extremely intelligent she's an eye doctor there's a million different things right um but I, I saw these things and i wanted to pursue it past that right and then as um well, relationship progressed right the reason why i ended up wanting to marry her is i could see her being that person my future one of the most attractive things to, to most men attracted to me is um is a woman who looks like who, who you know would be good with children that's an extremely attractive quality the most unattractive thing I could, I could hear is a woman going, ugh, I don't know if I want kids. That's like the, most, the biggest turnoff ever. Um, but a woman who's excited to be a mother, who um, who's excited to do things that you can imagine your future life being, you're, ob- you're, you're irrationally going to start to respond to that, right? Not even on an irrational level. Uh, the irrational level is when you're, you know, again, the first sexual partner and that sort of thing, which could be important in some ways. But the rational level is like, oh, I could actually create a life with this person, right? And so I'm like, well... I had this connection with her she's smart she fills a lot of things on paper or you know you don't have have all the things you fill up a lot of things on paper and i can see myself um uh, creating a future life and at the time you know i was i was i'm 30 now i was 25 my plan my master plan was i'm not going to be um married till i'm 30 or i'm not going to even try until i'm 30 right i want to be young and successful and then deal with that but you know Things happen, <laughs> yeah. and so even though I wasn't looking for it, it happened anyway. Which is probably the case with many people. Yeah. And so they're looking for it; it comes in your lap.
0: Hmm. That's interesting. I think um that definitely shows that. I think oftentimes women don't realize that what they look for in a man is not what men look for in a woman. Um, in many ways, I, I don't think success is as big of a deal. <laughs> almost almost at all i mean i think a lot of guys want a woman who they can like have good conversations with and an intelligent man might want an intelligent woman to keep up with him but i think uh success is is a lot less of a big deal and
1: hmm? i think this goes back to what we said beforehand this is what i want to bring up but it, it slipped my mind because you would sound like smarter women is like you know have like a smaller playing field or you know that, sorry feel to choose from but the thing is this is that this part when you're talking about, like, oh, I'm a doctor, I'm a PhD, I'm all this, right? They think, oh, well, it's nice to find a man who has more than that. The thing is, the men aren't necessarily looking for doctors and PhDs, it's not the super attractive quality, right? My, my wife is now an eye doctor. I met her, she would, was about to enter optometry school, but that wasn't the thing that attracted me to her. I can care less, mm. um, honestly, I, I could have cared less. And, and, but the fact that I was about to start work as a prominent lawyer was of course very attractive to her because men and women look for different things Mm -hmm. and so if you're a woman thinking that your career is something that should attract a man you have to understand men better and so what men are actually looking for not saying that uh uh, you know like a lot of men don't want to it depends you know different preferences a lot of men don't want to be with someone who's a stay-at-home mom because they can't support a stay-at-home mom Mm. a lot of men want someone who's rich because they don't have the money right and so you know you should understand that like oh if a man likes your career that much then maybe it's a bad thing (laughs) maybe he's actually it's more of like a kind of using you sort of relationship it's like oh she can provide for me you don't want a man who thinks that you can provide for him yeah not a good thing
0: no not at all it's uh it kind of comes back to evolution i always i always try to trace things back to evolution like in a hunter-gatherer type society you would be taking care of a child all the time or or near all the time and so a man is not going to be attracted to a woman who can go out and hunt a boar because he needs a what he can do that himself hopefully uh he's attracted to a woman who can take care of a child and and like deal with domestic duties and relate to people well and and help him you know achieve good status in a society like he's he's attracted to a number of more um i guess personality type of things uh, and also visual looks cues. yeah uh, for sure visual cues i mean obviously visual cues you want someone who's young who can you want someone who can bear you 10 babies rather than someone who can bear you one baby like someone who's
1: know. not going to die in childbirth right which is also yeah. visual cue like yeah. wider hips that sort of thing
0: mm. yeah why is
1: for hip a reason hip. right someone who, who could feed your young mm. yeah
0: yeah who could feed you <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> who can feed you <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for, it's a big yeah, big deal. Um, it's interesting. I wonder what facial features like facial faces are so important, but I have no idea why. I I don't know why yeah. that would play into like health.
1: I, I wonder about that line. The only thing I can really think of is well, facial symmetry apparently is a good indicator of other genes. Mm. But facial symmetry is, is probably important in a attractiveness. I don't really exactly know. I'm sure it is. Mm. Um, but uh, in terms of other traits, it's, it's kind of hard to say. Like, um, uh, you know, like uh, like like blue eyes didn't exist. Uh, blue or green eyes um, didn't exist until like ten thousand years ago. And then once it came up to the scene through mutation, it spread like wildfire because everyone wanted to have those babies mm. <laughs> ten thousand years ago. And so it spread from there. But blue green eyes don't show any sort of advantage. Mm. Right, so some things are kind of as random like that of, of what we find attractive. Some yeah. things are culturally influenced. That is that is true. Some things are culturally influenced, but I mean mostly genetic. Um, but some things are random. They don't have to necessarily have an have evolutionary backing for it. I don't think.
0: Oh yeah, but if or you maybe
1: had... it's one we haven't discovered.
0: If everyone had brown eyes and you saw someone blue eyes you'd be like oh they're a god like they they have been touched by the gods and then you would just you know want to have kids with them what if
1: what if you saw some what if you saw someone red eyes though
0: yeah oh
1: i don't know i don't know that'd be attractive (laughs) well i'm living in today's society i don't know about 10,000 years ago maybe you would be but it's kind of like a bad look i don't know it could be a random occurrence that blue or green ends up being something as attractive to a lot of people whereas red might not be attractive or maybe it is i don't know it's kind of hard to imagine
0: yeah i don't know i don't know if anyone with red eyes has ever existed that would be interesting like the color of fire people might think they're the devil and just kill them yeah (laughs) (laughs) probably been some some shit like that that's happened there's probably been some like evolutionarily like adaptations like i don't know people with six fingers or something and we've just been like no they're they're not good we we extra
1: pinky don't like that yeah
0: yeah Yeah. um Mm. So what's uh what's on the agenda next for you in uh in your your social media career? Do you think?
1: So um, right now, you know, I, um, I I bought a house recently, and uh, we've been spending so much effort uh, uh, fixing up the house. And once that's done, gonna get get start making YouTube videos, um, and probably more Man on the Street stuff. Um, anyone listening, Big uh, Bad Bears you on Instagram, on YouTube. I did a couple of cool um, Man on the Street interviews back when I was in Chicago um slut walk and chicago gun violence all different things um it's, it's a fun thing to do interviewing people on the fly um you know some people are you know we used to see those she interviews in which people are are like idiots and they're gonna fun of but a lot of times i went and i uh, got an intelligent conversation and to discuss things, not necessarily on my political aisle um but on other aisles and be able to kind of debate issues in a, in a, in a minor aspect. of mm-hmm. course you also have idiots coming up to the camera that's, that's also fun too for the entertainment aspects of things that's yeah, fine um yeah when things settle down I'll be doing a lot more of that stuff
0: it's interesting I did not I did one of those I I haven't published that. I don't know if I will but there was so much rejection involved actually I noticed like I would get I mean it wasn't it wasn't like a political rally so maybe that's different but I was just on the street talking to people and like really like one out of three people would say yes and then the other the other ones would, yeah and so um it was yeah i don't know if it's like an australian thing or maybe i just wasn't charismatic enough but it was
1: uh a, a lot of people were shy to be on camera
0: mm. yeah for sure and yeah. you're like pointing a camera in their face and stuff so they they don't like it but i actually
1: when, yeah, when, when was... i go to the slot walk and I, and I and i see a, a girl in a thong and like wearing nothing i think the girl's okay with attention right yeah. so she's like oh camera right another type of crowd where it's like excuse me express my privacy <laughs> so it's, it's a little bit different
0: <laughs> Nail attention Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh that's kind of a given for sure. All right. Uh I think I'll I think I'll end it there. Thank you so much for coming on.
1: It was great. Until next time. Thanks for yeah,
0: having me. This is awesome. See you later.
2: Bye.